You know how there are some influencers that you watch every day and you just feel like they're really cool and you want to be their friend? Well, Rachel Martino is exactly that to me. Rachel runs her Instagram account, Rachel Martino, where she has amassed a following of over half a million people. But she's not just a super charismatic and friendly influencer, she's also a badass female entrepreneur who has built an incredible business that goes beyond her own personal brand. I sat down with Rachel to talk about the beginning of her creator journey, how she grew her affiliate income during the pandemic, built a six-figure photo studio business, and where she wants to take her business from here. I also filmed a separate YouTube video with Rachel showcasing her colorful studio space, Dream Loft Studio, so definitely check that out on my YouTube channel as well. Now, without further ado, let's get into it. I think it is something that people don't think about as much that you are so face forward and you have this pressure to feel like you're always on, you always have to get on stories and yeah. people want as much as you'll give them. And again, you have to kind of set those boundaries for yourself. But it, it is hard because you never want to feel like, oh, I'm not doing enough. Or I'm not doing things that could get me to the next level of where I want to be. Welcome to the Full-Time Influencer Podcast. I'm your host, Tina Lee, and I'll be sharing industry knowledge and social media tips through weekly interviews with established creators and Q&A sessions. Our goal is to help you decode social media, become a full-time influencer, and do what you love for a living. Let's dive in. Hi, I'm Rachel Martino. I'm a content creator based in Brooklyn, New York, and I'm the founder of Dreamloft Studios. So hello, Rachel. Thank Hi. you so much for coming on the podcast. And we already did a tour with Rachel where she tells us her inspiration on the studio and various pieces. So definitely go check that out. And if you're listening to this on the audio version, make sure to check out our YouTube channel so you can get all the visual reference. So I just want to start off with how you started your influencer journey. Did you first start on YouTube or was it Instagram? How did it all begin? So I actually started on YouTube, um, even though I don't really do YouTube anymore. But when I was in college, I was actually interning for Avon, which is a beauty yes. brand. And I sold Avon in my dorm room and they had a call out for interns in New York City. And that was the first time I ever came to New York when I was... 18 uh, after my first year of college and I was the social media intern and part of my job was actually sending out press mailers to girls who were wow. creating videos on YouTube which was so new this was 2010 so YouTube had only been even around for three years yes. but you saw these girls popping up creating content online which I thought was so cool because it was really democratizing content because before it was like the only place that you could get beauty and fashion information was from magazines and that was controlled by, you know, Hearst Tower. And yes. so this was like seeing girls in their rooms just putting on makeup and giving advice, kind of like a big sister. And here we are sending them products. I'm like, I want to get free products. That sounds cool. So I just decided to create my YouTube channel in 2010 and that was really how it all started. And then that turned into obviously Instagram. And when I moved to New York after college, I worked for Estee Lauder on their marketing team. And because I was working for a large beauty brand, I shifted some of my content to be more fashion related. Mm. So it wouldn't be a conflict of interest with my work, which is kind of funny. So now I'm kind of more known for my fashion side, but yes. that was just because of of the circumstances at the time. But so in 2015, I resigned from my job, my corporate job in the beauty world. And I've been a full-time content creator since 2015. Wow. <laughs> long time. I think you might be the person that I interviewed who's been a full-time the longest. Yeah. OG. Um, yeah. <laughs> I did speak to Wendy yesterday. Oh, Wendy's, Wendy's lookbook. lookbook. Oh, yes. She a is queen. iconic. Iconic. Um, but she had been around, she'd been doing for 12 years. Yeah. And, and you guys are like the real OG because you've yeah. been at it for, for a long time. I looked up so much to Wendy's lookbook really? when I got started. So yeah. I even the way I'm sitting right now, for you guys who are watching, um, this is like, I call the Wendy pose. You learned on her YouTube? From her. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's how you can sit pretty. Yes, yes. So, <laughs> so when you first started YouTube, you did uh, beauty influencing. They were tutorials and makeup stuff. Yeah. How did that go for you in the beginning? Did it take off or did it take a while to, to gain some traction? Well, I think I was lucky because YouTube was still pretty new. There was not that much content. There was still a lot of content on YouTube. I mean, with any platform that comes up, it doesn't take long for it to fill up, but there was still space. Um, and 
Honestly, people forget that early days of YouTube was kind of like TikTok now, where you could go viral mm. and be on like the front page of, of YouTube and you could just get really lucky. So I had a few videos that really took off, um, but not like huge. I mean, even I think that, you know, the, the highest point of my YouTube uh, channel was like 40,000 followers. Um, but then another thing that I did, my journey has taken a lot of turns, but I also created a YouTube channel in French um, oh, yes. because I was a French major in college. So I was like, why not create some of these beauty videos in French just to practice? Um, and those, that channel actually had 200,000 subscribers in the end because I think French girls were really interested in, they already were watching like the big American YouTubers, but this was in their language and they right. like thought my accent was cute, which ah. is so funny to think about. But yeah, so I have, um, I also speak French and I have um, videos on my French YouTube channel. I see. Wow. So then how did you decide to transition that from YouTube to Instagram? Was that like 2015, 16 or? Um, I feel like I got a, a Instagram in 2012. I think that's kind of the year we all first, yeah. like, and I remember I was on a first date <laughs> with this guy and he, we were chatting and he took a photo and then he like put this cool filter on it. And I was like, oh, what's that? He's like, oh, it's Instagram. I'm like, oh, what's an Instagram? And he said, it's an app for hipsters to make cool photos. <laughs> because they used to use, remember the filters on Look Instagram? Look how it has evolved. Wow. And I was like, oh, sounds cool. And then I immediately went home and downloaded it. So I, that was like when I first started Instagram, but I didn't mm. think of it as something for to connect with my YouTube channel, but then I realized, so I started posting more content on Instagram to try and grow my followers. And again, I just sort of started focusing more on fashion content because of my job in beauty. Yeah. It was just a little bit easier and I could start even then earning a little bit of money from like my first collab for $200 with like a t-shirt brand that doesn't really? even exist anymore. Yeah. So yeah, my first collab was also $200 nice. and it was for like a hair oil product. And I was like, wow, this is so much money. I know, <laughs> but it was a very crappy campaign. I regret it. I'm kind of embarrassed. <laughs> yeah. But now, now I do a better job. <laughs> but yeah. So when you started to grow your Instagram, were you trying to learn how to do it somewhere or did you kind of just have to figure it out on your own or you had other peers to discuss with? So I feel like at the beginning it was just, I mean, Instagram was so different. You just put photos on there. It was not such a big deal. You just put mirror selfies or pictures of your, your what you were eating. Um, it took a while for it to become a little bit more uh, curated. And I remember around that time, I met some great creators in the New York City area um, through some Fashion Week events, um, who are some of my closest friends to this day. And a close friend of mine, Noelle, so her and I kind of grew into fashion bloggers together and we would trade tips. We would meet up at coffee shops and we would take each other's photos. Um, and I'm even meeting her later today to take photos. So, you know, we still work together all the time and it was just so refreshing, I think, to have other people to chat about our career. Cause I was used to coming from a job where you had coworkers yeah. and to, you know, I think one of the things people don't talk about at the beginning of becoming an influencer is very isolating. Yes. You're by yourself all the time. Yes. Uh, and it's just a different experience, but, um, yeah. It's a so lonely the, so career. It's a lonely, it can be a lonely career, but yeah. I was so lucky to meet some girls that also did the same thing. And we definitely bounced ideas off each other and still do to this day. I see. Yeah. I, I think one of the reasons why, uh, I find your content super interesting is that you have, you go all out when it comes to seasons or holidays and events and so on. So I thought that was very special. I wonder if that also helped you gain some traction to your page as well. And I just like to call it like seasonal content. Yeah. And I tell people like, this is the best time to put your stuff out there and grow. Definitely. So every year, how do you prepare for the various seasons? What's the most important season? So I would say it's hard. I feel like it's between Halloween and Christmas. Christmas, yeah. but I think, I think it, almost just because I have blonde hair, I feel like people really love the Christmas content. I, I always say I'm like grown up Eloise mm -hmm. and I love really getting into it and the bows and, and the Christmas outfits and the shoes, everything red. Um, so I love planning for Christmas content. So for me, it's more just like choosing which locations I'm going to shoot at, um, and kind of doing the same ones every year, um, in terms of the New York city spots, which are constantly changing, but you know, generally speaking, they're the same and yeah obviously planning out a wardrobe right as the stuff comes out, making sure I'm having all of the bows and all of the Christmas sweaters, which there was not a lot of good ones this year. Yeah. I'm wearing a lot of ones from previous years, but I love planning out holiday content. Um, 
and it's my favorite time of the year. Yeah. I have found that when I post seasonal content, it gets the most traction and also making sure to do it uh, at least a month beforehand. So like fall happens on September 1st, even though it's still like really, really hot. Yeah. And Christmas happens right after Thanksgiving right after or, or just right after Halloween, really on yeah. November 1st. And it's kind of the way that you can get ahead of the curve, yeah. right? But after what I found was like after one or two years of doing it, mm-hmm. it felt a bit repetitive to me, like yeah. especially in New York City, like the decor tends to be the same. And then you go to similar places to take beautiful photos and they're only really like iconic ones. How do you kind of reinvent the wheel uh, each year or do you just kind of go with the flow and you don't really try to have to reinvent it? I think it's hard because exactly to your point, like, you know, you get to a point where you're like, wow, it's, it is, it, it, it can be kind of similar, but for me, I love the styling of it. I love creating the outfits and finding those spots and taking photos and whether it's by myself or with friends or with my significant other. And ultimately it's like, people love to see it no matter what. And so That's it's like, true. also I'm at a place with Instagram where I think sometimes you have to stop overthinking it because you can get yourself into such a, a, a rut or you can yeah. get so frustrated. And ultimately, like, we can't control how many people are going to see the photo. So I like to just make sure that I'm happy with what I'm creating um, and it brings me joy because if not, what's, you know, what's, what's the, the point? point? Um, and I hope it brings other people joy. And, yeah. you know, sometimes it's something that you didn't think was going to be as popular as it was and it is. And you just kind of have to say, like, oh, that was great. And if it doesn't do well, like... Who cares? Like, I still want to put it in a frame because yeah. I think it's a beautiful photo. So. Yes. So, um, I, is it Sarah Dietschy? Is that her last name? Um, she says, do one for you and one for them. Yeah. So, either for the audience <laughs> yeah. or for the algorithm. Yeah. I feel like that's a pretty good role to have so that you're always satisfying your creativi- creative needs, but mm-hmm. then you're also feeding the algorithm, right. so to speak. Definitely. You have seen Instagram evolve through the years, like going from the filter app to being like full-on platform for creators and now like focused on reels. Yeah. Has there ever been a time where it was difficult for you to adjust to all the changes happening or you just kind of ride with the flow and make it work? Um, honestly, I think now has been a, like the hardest because I do feel like I adopted reels and I uh, definitely grew my TikTok channel, which I think was, I'm really proud that I was able to grow that to where it is today. But I just feel this weird sense, and I don't know if you feel, like, reels were so popular, and you're like, okay, just post reels, and now it's like, wait, but what about the photo? It's just, some days I'm just like, I don't even know what I'm doing, which is crazy to say after so many years doing this job, but again, I just try and focus on what, what makes me happy and what I feel the core audience interacting with, because sometimes, even if it doesn't do that well, but maybe it gets me a lot of DMs or a lot of um, comments. It's like, all right, well, the people who really care do care about this. And they're still so there. So don't just focus on the number of, you know, likes. There's also saves. There's also DMs. Like, what are people interacting with the most? Yes. And, and caring about? Yes. I've been going through some of the same issues, I would say, like, maybe a year ago. Mm-hmm. And now I'm very okay with it. I'm, like, much... Like, I think you have to go through a period where yeah. you have ride the highs but then you start doubting yourself and then you see it reflected all in the numbers and you're like oh no I have no more career my career is ending everything's gonna go away Um, but then a year later it's still there and sometimes you still see good nice bumps and you have ups and downs and then you just realize oh you're not always supposed to just keep going up and up and up right like this is a it it just doesn't happen that way yeah not even anybody else's career it's always a bit of a bumpy ride although overall you're still just generally going up so as long as you're generally trending in the right direction then it's fine um but i also think that because instagram is having an identity crisis and for me because so much of my identity is tied to instagram look actually my entire thing i got a bit too lost in it Mm -hmm. at a point and so that's why like i doubted my entire self-worth value as yeah. a person even, yeah. uh, which is kind of crazy to say. It's no, just a it, social it media platform. Yeah, it does. And I think that that's one thing that I always try and remind myself of because it's easy to fall into those traps. But at the end of the day, like, close your, close your phone, set, set it down, and, like, enjoy life because yeah. you, we can't control what Instagram decides and they are going to change their mind a million times. But I think ultimately if you are satisfied with the content that you're creating, if you are happy in your own life, if you're 
earning what gets you by, like, you're just going to torture yourself. Yeah. Caring so much about every single like. It's, yes. It's just not worth it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Once you come to terms with it, you'll be okay. And then just keep moving forward and things will fall into place. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So along the way, in the beginning, you were just kind of monetizing with like brand deals. Uh, and then eventually, did you decide like, oh, I wanted to diversify my income streams? Or uh, what was going through your mind as you sort of developed on this career? So I think um, the big thing for me was the pandemic. So it 2018, 2019, things were going great. I was earning a ton from my from brand deals. I was feeling happy with you know, my content, I was traveling, I was just living a high of kind of the influencer life, I guess you could say. And then when 2020 hit, it was a big challenge because A, we don't have all these great locations to take photos. Yes. And B, brands weren't really spending as much money. Yes. So the first thing I did was I actually put a little bit more energy into affiliate linking because ultimately I said, hey, this is, instead of me, it's like the the analogy is like a girl sitting around waiting for a guy to call her. Mm. Like, I'm not that kind of girl. Yeah. And we're sitting around waiting for brands to call us. Like, I love it. that's not my vibe. Yeah. So I'm like, I, just like I used to sell Avon, I'm like, I got to get out there and hustle. So I was like doing a lot of try-ons and my tipsy try-ons, which I do, which are kind I of remember. funny. Yeah, I need to keep, I need to do some more of those. Those are yeah. fun. But try-ons and then really pushing product, which wasn't something I focused on a lot before mm. because I had plenty of work with brand deals, but I'm glad I did because ultimately it's something that you're more in control of, which I really like because, you know, and I think you have to kind of train your audience. At the beginning, it was definitely like, wait, what are all these stories? What are all these trying? Like, you know, and I get that. Uh, But at the end of the day, like that was something I wanted to focus my energy on. And it did help during that period where I wasn't getting as many brand deals. And then on the flip side, again, I didn't have a place to create content. Mm. Um, So when we, so my partner and I, we moved from, we were living temporarily in LA during the pandemic. We moved back to New York and found this incredible live work loft. And I immediately came into my head that I wanted to make it a photo studio. Um, And I knew it was going to be a big investment, which was really scary at the time Mm. because I I wasn't getting as much brand work. Um, But I really had to believe in the vision. Um, And so I set it up to be um, a photo studio and our living space. Um, And because it was so large, it's a 2,000 square foot loft, um, we got some amazing brands coming through. We had Comedy Central. We had a Netflix pilot shoot there. We had Amazon, Google. I mean, it was wild. I mean, we we would have days where there would be 35 people shooting very serious videos there. Like, you know, like you had to be quiet or get, you know, go somewhere else. Um, but that spilled out a little too much into our life because it was our home. So I said, all right, this is doing really well. Why don't I consider getting a second space? Mm. Um, and again, it was definitely a leap, leap of faith. I mean, we had seen success with our, our home space, but it was a little scary to sign a second lease. I mean, because when you have a lease, it's, you have to pay that money every single month, even if nobody comes to shoot their photos here. Um, but again, I, for me, it was also such a refreshing creative outlet because, you know, being a fashion and, and uh, makeup blogger forever, it's like I knew I had other creative ideas and energy to put out there. So being able to do more interior stuff was really satisfying. Um, and so it's a great... Um, a great extra income stream and I think that that's something that's important is to remember that you know you don't know where your next dollar is going to come from always when you're a freelancer because at the end of the day we're still freelancers yes yes. um so it's good to to think about what else what else is out there what else could you do yes but what I found the most fascinating about you starting the studio is ultimately you're going from a freelancer position into like a businesswoman because yeah. now you have to think about the capital invested and mm-hmm. how long it will take for you to get return on that the cash flow and then all of those things margins and yeah. conversions and all <laughs> of that stuff which as influencers like we didn't have to think about that it was just here's a brand deal mm-hmm. I take photos I do my best job yeah. and I network and then that's the, the end mm-hmm. So this was uh, definitely a learning yeah. curve for you too, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. When you first started, when you built the studio, I guess the loft, mm-hmm. that was intended to, to become a studio? Yeah. So when I saw the space, it was definitely more than I wanted to pay for rent or mm. a little over budget. 
So when I found the loft, I kind of had in my head immediately that it would make an amazing photo studio. It kind of looked like a photo studio. That yeah. It kind of had that. What I loved about it was it had that feeling of a New York City apartment, which yes. is so funny because so few New York City apartments look like a loft, but we have that in our head from from friends, from all these different TV shows that depicted this sort of New York City loft. Um, and I knew that I could make it into that. Um, it was a dance studio, was it? It was, yeah. So it had been, it has been many different. There, the previous owner was, or the previous tenant, should I say? The previous tenant was a photographer. He ran a very successful photography business there. He was a photographer for Vogue, all these things. And then before that, it was actually, a, yeah, a dance studio. Mm. So it had so much open space, and I could just see that it was a great potential. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was scary because the rent was higher than I wanted to pay. But knowing it had live work opportunity was what was like, okay, then this is the right space. And I'm really glad I made that choice. Definitely. Even though ultimately we did have to leave the loft. Yeah. Um, which was Are you able to talk about that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, of course. What was the reason? So basically, you know, we had a lease, obviously. Um but it's you know owned by one person. Um, it's a co- technically a condo building. And yeah. so they decided to take the apartment back. Um, and it was just for personal reasons. It had nothing to do Got with it. us. It was, yeah. you know, I, you know, it's, it's not my place to share her personal business, but yeah, that yeah. was, you know, her reason for taking the apartment back. And, you know, it's her, it's her apartment. Ultimately mm-hmm. that's what renting is, which is, you know, which is scary. What makes it scary. But, um, you know, it was really hard. I took yeah. it really hard, but yeah. especially having this space, which we had already finished by the time that we had to leave the loft, I felt like, okay, we have this space still running and it's okay to like let it go and move on to the next chapter. And now we have this beautiful home that we're working on renovating. Absolutely love it. Um, It feels more like a home too. The loft was very apartment-y, but this is like literally like a house. So it's, it's really nice. So is that home also going to be a photo studio coming up? So I'm not exactly sure what my plans are for the space because right now we're just in the midst of renovating it. Um, we love it. And part of me is like, do I want to rent it? Because I there is such an important thing of separation of home and work. Yeah. Um, so for now, I think we're going to just keep it as our, our primary home. But we do want to open more commercial spaces. And that's mm-hmm. what's nice is when you have a commercial lease, it's a little bit different. You have a lot more flexibility, generally speaking, in terms of renovations. I mean, you think about a store or a restaurant, like it's, they're always going to do renovations to make it part of their brand. Yeah. Um, so same thing with the commercial lease like this one. Um, yeah. You have a lot more flexibility. So I think in the new year you will you, – I'm not going to give anything away, but stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited to see your future projects with that. Are you an aspiring creator who wants to get paid to be yourself and do what you love? Well, I have a free training that will help you achieve exactly that. This training will cover the four steps to landing paid brand deals even if you don't have a ton of followers so you can start growing and monetizing your social media following. Save your spot today at SuccessfulInfluencer.com training or head to the link in the description. I remember one thing that I heard somewhere was that whatever is your expense in your business, you should turn it into a business, like offer it as a service. And that's Mm -hmm. essentially what you did. I think content creators are always lacking beautiful spaces. And there was a complete lack of that here in New York City. There's Mm -hmm. a ton of them in LA and they're very affordable. They're very unique. Um, But I will say there's nothing like this, like very eclectic, Mm -hmm. girly style. Um, And so you essentially turned that expense and that need Mm -hmm. into a business and offered it to other people, which I think is is the smartest part. But also because you have marketing skills, you know how to grow social media, Mm -hmm. you know how to do content marketing, whether that's on TikTok or Instagram. So that's a huge plus Mm -hmm. too. So it's really thinking beyond our own personal brand Mm -hmm. and being like a a freelancer, like taking gigs, but how can we expand this into to multiple different product service offerings and yeah. build it into like an entire empire. And everyone has their own different routes. Your yeah. route is like the studio is a big focus. Some other, like I did my digital courses. Other people have physical uh, products, products and yeah. so on. So I think that's like the really cool evolution yeah. of where content creators are going. Definitely. Um, and also... Yeah, I wanted to ask about how you managed to grow your Dream Loft Studio page. It's very unique. I, I, so I followed you along the entire journey. Yeah. As like, she's doing all these renovations. I loved watching them. They're like super entertaining. So you started the page and then yeah. you were like, this is going to go private. 
you gotta follow here if you yeah. want to yeah. be the first to see the renovation, yeah. see the wallpaper and all yeah. of that. And I was like, damn it, why do you do this to me? Yeah. Now I have to follow this yeah. page. And so I followed it. Because, you know, at a point, like, we get very stingy without yeah, follows. Absolutely. And I was like, oh, I want to know what Rachel yeah. is up to. So I followed it. It was so smart. Can yeah. you tell us about how yeah, you came up with a, that? Yeah, that was a fun little tactic. So, yeah. So, yeah, so basically... Um, through the process of renovating this space, I posted a lot of the renovations on TikTok and that was a huge way that I grew my TikTok following. But it was hard to decide which things to put on at Rach Martino on my yes. on my Instagram. And sometimes I was like, maybe this is a little too much. Yeah. Um, so I was like, I should definitely start a Dreamloft Studios uh, specific Instagram. Um, and at first I just thought of it as like a place, I really thought I was just gonna be reposting people's photos that they took here and some of my own photos here. Um, but I realized it could be a great opportunity for me to have a secondary monetized Instagram. Yes. Um, because Instagram Smart. at the end of the day is is my number one um, profit driver. Yeah. So what I first did was, you know, it was it was sitting around like ten thousand followers, which is already great, um, and I was really excited. But I realized you do have to incentivize people to follow. So the first thing I did was I knew people were going to want to see the reveals. So I would put the account to private and then post on my own personal page saying, if you want to see the reveal, you have to follow. And it was actually, it was hard because I would have to like manually accept. Yeah. Because I didn't know if there wow. was, there was no other way. My assistant and I would manually like wow. be thousands of people, you know, but it didn't take that long. So yeah. That's how we uh, grew to about 35,000. And that was like sitting there was a good place. And then I just thought, okay, well, I made all of these TikToks about the renovations um, of Dreamloft Studios. Maybe I should just try, you know, Reels is growing. I, all I see is people talk about Reels growth um, and how um, newer accounts are prioritized. Mm, and I'm like, yes. oh, it is a new account, whereas Rach, Mar Rach Martino has been around since 2012. Yeah. Um, so basically I just said, okay, I'll just literally repurpose at once a day, a reel from my TikTok or TikTok to the Dreamloft Studios reel, and I don't know what was in the water, but it grew a hundred thousand followers in like a week and a half. Wow! So now it's sitting at two hundred thousand, which like I still can't even believe. Um, but I'm really excited because now I feel like I have a secondary monetized platform. I especially for like uh, in the home space, so yes. like to get gifted product for future studios it's a cost yeah, yeah. and because furniture and appliances are the the most expensive things compared yes. to like you know our outfits yeah um, so i'm i'm very glad very glad about yeah. that yeah so you did mention like the smeg was a collaboration they they sent yep. you the beautiful appliances mm -hmm. and then this this couch Apartment was a, a collab and i assume the east olivia is like a collab as well yeah so i actually it's funny because uh, kelsey is a friend of mine it's not a traditional collab of exposure. It was actually, she used uh, the space several times oh, to shoot her own content for smart, East Olivia. Smart. So that was another um, a, a great idea. And, and I'm planning on working with her in the future because I think that the floral, in, her floral installs are just incredibly beautiful. Um, yeah. And they add something so special. Like, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I've, I've researched a lot of peer spaces, and that's one thing I have never seen exactly the same thing. Yeah. In those, you know, big floral install. So. Pretty cool. I like that. I, I feel like it's very interesting because usually when we do collaborations, mm -hmm. we feel the pressure to provide a, a lot of exposure mm -hmm. to people or reach. But then here you can provide a different type of value, wh whoever it is. Yeah. Maybe you, you, it's a new opportunity to network or meet other people and provide value to others beyond like your reach. So, yeah. And the second page is super smart too because then you can get paid. You can increase your rates by just saying I can cross post. Yeah. And both channels. So that is super smart. Um, speaking of brand deals, yeah. I'm assuming at this point, you're just like, they just come to you naturally and you just have to select, pick and choose. And do you have a manager for that? Yeah. So I um, actually signed with um, DBA, uh, now United Talent, um, in 2015. So oh, I've wow. had the same agency representing me for a very long, a long time, time. And, and I have a great relationship with them. Um, but I mean, I'm still a hustler, though. I got to tell you, I, I still work on pitch decks that I like to send out for, to brands that I'm really interested in working with a brand. Yeah. Um, like, for example, Anthropology. I'm obsessed with yes, Anthropology yes. and uh, especially their their home and home pieces. So I worked on a 
12-page intensive deck showing the before and afters of this space and sort of outlining what I wanted to do with my new home. Um, and they finally took the bait. So I, wow. um, I don't know if I should even be saying this, but I doubt they're listening. But if you are, hi, guys. Um, <laughs> thanks for wanting to work with me. Um, but so I'm going to be working with them on my new space, and I'm so excited. And so, like, you know, you – again, I, like I said with the analogy of – you know, waiting for waiting around for a guy to call. You do not have to wait around. Yes. You know, and the, what's the worst they're gonna say? No, nothing. And, and yeah. So then you're just like, okay. You know, and and not to be pushy or anything, but you know, you have a lot of value. So if there's something that you want, go out there, send a DM to start the conversation. Uh, I still cold email. Like yeah. there's there. You know, I think people are surprised sometimes when I say that since I've kind of been an influencer for so long, but. No, I'm about that. I'm about that. Yeah. Do it for yourself, girl. I'm definitely surprised because, like, I'm so lazy now. <laughs> like, I don't do any cold email. I'm just like, yeah. just come to me if you don't want to. I don't want to. It's just fine. Yeah. Um, but I guess it's, it's helpful that, uh, like, there's different income streams for, for all of us. So then there is also less pressure to have to always be reaching out and always be on top of your game with yeah. brand deals because essentially you are just, a, how do I say this, like a marketing channel. Yeah. Um, like, to give them that reach and that brand awareness and so on. So that's a nice, like, relief from that, right? Definitely. So do you think these studios will become a larger part of your revenue streams in the future, like, more and more? And Is that the ultimate goal? Yeah, I think um, I think it's been interesting, like, to see where it's taking my career and what directions I'm going um, because now it's so weird because, like, the other day this I was at the dog park and this girl came up to me out of nowhere. And, you know, we're used to, from time to time, people coming to say hi or I follow your Instagram. Yeah. And she was like, you're the girl from TikTok with the cool the loft. Studio. And I was like, yeah. And I don't know. Like, it just, it was so surprising to me because I, that's not how I, I've been a fashion blogger for so long that I was like, this girl probably doesn't even have any idea that yeah. I have been a fashion yeah. blogger since 2010 yeah. or, you know, however long. And so I am seeing myself more in, in the interior space and wondering where that's going to go. Um, but I do think, like, ultimately, I do want to – I think – I don't know if you feel the same way, but, you Pull know, away. being the mm -hmm. face of it is hard. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't always want to only feel like I have to rely on, you know, brand deals or yeah. – continually just being a marketing channel. So yeah. it is exciting to see that the studios are growing, you know, getting more bookings and that that could be part of my future. And maybe designing spaces could be part of my future yeah. as well. Yeah. So. Maybe you could even start a, a like a furniture line. <gasps> You know? uh, Rachel Martino X Anthropology Furniture <laughs> Line. Let's talk it. That would yes. be epic. Manifesting yes. it into your future. <laughs> that is my dream. Yeah, oh my that would God. be Manifesting ideal. Manifesting it. I really like that <laughs> idea of sort of pulling your face away from your brand because I am facing similar... Uh, well, I think all influencers who are like face heavy face the same problem and for me it's really about like needing to start a family that I need to stop traveling as much. Like I can't fly every month anymore um and then also just feeling the how do I say this without like offending people like feeling the pressure of aging as somebody who has to keep showing up on the camera yeah and every day you're looking at yourself and like people are very forgiving nobody has ever said anything no yeah yeah like people are in incredibly nice yeah. and then they see really nice things you also have such a baby face I'm shocked <laughs> to hear you say this yeah but it's it's uh it's scary yeah I and, and I don't like to see myself that way in, mm -hmm. in a way and I, I don't know if I like to have that out in the public all the time yeah it feels very vulnerable and it's okay to be vulnerable online and I think that's how you get like real people who you know you share your stuff and they care about you and yeah. all of that it's really nice and I'm very appreciative but it's just it's, it's hard pressure. yeah I think it is something that people don't think about as much that you are so face forward and you have this pressure to feel like you're always on yeah you always have to get on stories and yeah. you know people want as much as you'll give them yeah. um and again you have to kind of set those boundaries for yourself um but it is it is hard because you never want to feel like oh I'm not doing enough yes, um, yes. I'm not you know doing things that could you know could get me to the next level of where exactly. I want to be. But so for me, that is kind of where I got to with, with being an influencer. And so I'm very happy that I'm exploring other, other revenue streams, other creative outlets, because it has helped me because there was a time that was 
dark when you're just yeah. like, oh my God, I'm sick of my face. <laughs> but oh my God, like you do, it's a lot. It's going yeah. to be a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely <laughs> feel that so much. Yeah. Um, but I also think it's really smart. You mentioned the whole affiliate income thing. Yeah. Um, I thought that that was always a huge income stream for you. I had no idea that it was like during the pandemic that you stepped into that, mm-hmm. which really, really surprised me. Is there anything that you can share? Because I know you share a, a lot in one go. Yeah. And what I find, so for some context, mm-hmm. basically in Rachel's story, she'll have the links and lots of different outfit compilations, mm-hmm. which is totally your style, but I assume you have some help yeah. uh, curating that. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of stories in one go. So I'm always scared that people will click away. Yeah. Like, Have you seen that happen to you? And then sort of how do you still make that a very effective series of stories for affiliate income? Right. So for me, it's kind of what I was speaking to before. So again, it was definitely at the beginning hard because I yeah. think people were like, what is this? Like, yeah. I, this is not the stories that I'm used to. But at the end of the day, like, you you know what? You're the driving force. And so, and when you make it a daily thing, I think people who watch my stories, they know. Every day you're getting the faves and fines. Yes. And if you don't like it, Tap, tap, tap. Like, yeah, you know, if, yeah. you, if you want, if you want to see me, if you want to see Taxi, if you want to see Leo, if you want to like get the fun stuff, then, you know, it's like a YouTube ad. you got to watch the other part. If you don't like it, you click skip ad. It's not a big deal. I yeah. think, I think it's so easy to like overthink. Okay. Well, because yeah, people are going to click away, but some people are going to click it mm-hmm. and you need those people to click it or you're never going to make any money. Amazing. So for me, yeah. I'm just like, you know, it, yeah you have to remember that we are giving so much away for free. Yeah. And yeah. so at the end of the day, I just think, so if you, you got, you, you got to look, you got to watch the ads, you got to do this. And yeah, you know, I, I think that, um, it was, to me, it was worth it. And it's one of those things hard to know. Maybe I would have more followers if I didn't post that, mm-hmm. but then I wouldn't have the, you know, so it's like everything is a balancing act. Yes. Um, that's right. but because I've stuck to it and yeah. you, you show your audience what they're going to get and they see it every single day. Like sometimes people, you know, I always get people that are like telling me that they got the outfit and that they love it and yeah. and hoping to give them that inspiration. Um, so it's it's worked out. So is the rough breakdown right now like mostly brand deals, I yeah. assume, and then maybe the next one is a studio or it's affiliate um, income? No, affiliate link would be uh, – they're, they're close. They're oh. close. Um, but, you know, the brand deals is definitely still at the top. But then I would say the studio – and it's the first year of the studio. Yeah. So, you know. Uh, hoping that it continues to book see with the link success. Below. Yeah, you can book with the link. Um, and, uh, you know, even in, in the last six months was better than the first six months. So yeah. I'm hoping just to see that continue to to be, to grow as an income. Um, but they're all six-figure businesses. Amazing. I love it. So, yes. oh, s- small you- six-figure, well, <laughs> the other two, but... You know, they do. That's significant. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of it, like with the studio, for example, that's profit, but there are a lot of expenses with the studio. Of course. Yes. um, Compared to, you know, I think we we don't realize just how much we're lucky with the main, you know, brand deals. Yeah. It it is a low barrier. It is a low, we have low expenses. I mean, we still have expenses. It's high profit. High profit margin. Yeah. Yeah. So, are you comfortable sharing with us just like the highest paying brand deal amount? Not the brand, just the amount. Oh, um, this year I had one six, very low six figure deal. Wow. So over a, like a year long yeah, uh, yeah. commitment, um, which was my first time ever. That was like a huge win. I was wow. so excited. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I love doing long term partnerships. Yes, it's always yes. going to be the most exciting thing because you're like this is something that I know is coming in and you can kind of plan your your year around that Um, but like you said you know I I take all parts of the business very seriously and so you know I look at that profit and loss and every year I decide where to where to put you know where to put the expenses and yes and I see that there are many brands that come back to you too and that's just a testament to like the quality work that you do and um being very professional with them and delivering things on time or yeah. being very communicative and just being a professional overall. Yeah. And so that's why you get that repeat business. Yeah. Too. I mean, and again, I think I've just been around for so long and I've have a good reputation of being, you know, easy to work with. You know, I, I always, I do care about my brand partners, something I like to do, which I don't know if I've ever heard an influencer talk about this, but yeah. I like quarterly send like Starbucks gift cards to like brand partners that I've worked with. And it's some, you know, it's something so small, but it's like, you know, but they always mention it. They always appreciate it. And, you know, I think, I think it's almost funny. We're so used to getting 
free stuff. Right, right. But people that work at brands, like, right, they don't necessarily right. have that's that. True. And so, like, they're really appreciative and they, you know, that's something that they remember. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and I, you know, I, I just, uh, it's a client gift. So, yes. of, of my appreciation for working with them. And I think they, I love were, that. they remember it. That's, that's really great. It's a great, just a nice gesture because yeah. they also work really hard yeah, to absolutely. coordinate for everything to, yeah. to happen. Yeah. And I always take care of my managers as well. Anyone who works or, you know, works on my team because yeah. those people, you know, they, they bust their ass all day, you know, working with me for me. And then, you know, I, yeah. I, I'm very big on gifting anyway. So yeah. like my, that's one of my like love languages. So. Yeah. Did you know that your your assistant and my assistant were written up in an article in yes. Cosmopolitan? Yes. I was like, I okay. saw that. She, um, actually, I found, she didn't send it to me, but I, I think I saw it somewhere. I got yeah. mentioned. And I was like, oh, what is this? And I read it and I was like, okay, nothing incriminating. Yeah, yeah. She says I'm like, nice to work with. So I'm like, I, I'll take it. And then I was like, hey, Rachel. Yeah. Rachel Martino. I remember Caitlin was like, is this okay if I do? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, it, it was good. It was a good article. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting. I think yeah, people are interested to see, like, you know, they see what we're doing, but kind of more the behind the scenes and what, what they do. Yeah. Um, and, I, yeah, Caitlin is incredible. She just, she runs the show. I just, she makes your life a lot easier. She does. She does. I always say, <laughs> I choke her. I'm like, she's the director. I just, I'm just the <laughs> talent. I just show up and she helps me get organized. She's a very organized person. I'm a little bit of more chaotic creative energy person yeah yeah unlike you I know you're very organized <laughs> I try to be organized but I feel like it's it's very hard my brain is in all different places it's in temp- different places at once yeah and I'm still often I'm still like the COO like I don't have a COO role mm-hmm. I've hired a, two assistants copywriter graphic designer and then also now a content marketing strategist for the core side of the business so oh, wow. she actually helps me come up with real ideas and carousels and I don't have to be doing them anymore or coming up with That's ideas so anymore. Smart. Yeah. But, um, so are all of these people working for you full-time or a contract? So actually they're all contract mm-hmm. um, be- because the work is so eclectic. So yeah. it's actually very hard for me to come up with a full-time role mm-hmm. where one person has the skills to cover all the bases. Yeah. So they need to either be a jack of all trades to yeah. be hired full-time. So that's kind of tricky in terms of hiring. I would like to. Yeah. It's just hard because it would be nice to have that stability. Yeah. But it's a little growing team. And it's That's nice. Great. And I hope we can do like more fun um, company activities in the future <laughs> yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But we'll see. So what is in the five-year vision of the oh Rachel Martino brand or the Dreamloft Studio brand? Yeah. Five-year vision. Um, again, I think, uh, pl- I wouldn't call it plan. I would call five-year manifesting. Yeah. Because again, you never know what, yes. where the life no, is going to take No, put it you. out there. But yeah, but I because I always say the only thing you can plan for is surprise. Because <laughs> um, that's just the way life is. But I would say, you know, something that is, is important to me is continuing to grow the Dreamloft Studios brand yes. and open more studios. Mm-hmm. Um, and in addition to that, like I mentioned, I really want to get more involved in the interior space. So designing spaces... Um, that are not Dreamloft Studios, designing spaces for others, either may it be brands or people, um, is something I'm really interested in. And potential, like, it, I would love, you know, to do a show one day. Like, yeah. if I could be, you know, on HGTV or even if it's just a, a digital show, that would be really cool because I do want to inspire people in their interior, especially people who are maybe just renting. And, you know, people, I think that even for me, I've had a journey, like, when I, if you look at my old apartments, it was... It was clearly like I just thought, oh, I have to do what's popular. Yeah, so I had yeah. like, you know, gray chairs. Yes. Even though I'm the most colorful. <laughs> like it didn't make sense. Yes, and, yes. you know, everything was from West Elm, which no shit, I love West Elm. Yeah. But like that mid-century modern, everything was mid-century modern, which is not is in no way my style. And it was taking that time over the pandemic and like focusing on just getting what I liked, just yeah. going with your gut. Yeah. And again, it doesn't have to be doesn't need it has to be your my, my style my style is very girly and eclectic but i think listening to that inner voice when it comes to styling yourself and styling your space is what i'm really passionate about yes yes so. i love that one last question yeah. before we wrap up do you think social media has shaped your style to be more colorful or more unique in any way? Or is it more just you're drawing from your own uh, childhood or inspiration or experiences in life and then you're just showing it to the world? Um, I mean, I think social media has shaped us all in so many ways because just the very nature of it, but I have always been very colorful. And like, if you would ask my mom, she would be like, yeah, she wanted her bedroom to be 
purple growing up. She has always loved pink, colorful designs. You know, I you I remember the other day I stumbled upon like old Pinterest boards and it was very color, which is so funny. I still didn't even do it, but I, you know, I love yellow, pink, yeah. purple. Like it's always been colorful when it comes to who I am as a person what I wear and now thankfully how I style my spaces so I'm just I've always been a colorful girl I love that I love it I love that you're so true to yourself um, I'm the opposite I, I was like all black like just leather and black and yeah. lace hence the name leather of and leather lace, and lace yeah. and then only after social media I was like color pink girly things bows I know <laughs> Christmas. I love I love seeing I've loved seeing your style change and evolve and I feel like I just love your collection that you had full of tool and bows and I mean it was just like living for the girly vibes um it was a so, fun yeah. experience Absolutely. but yes I think it, it's very interesting just to see how it either you it amplifies your style mm-hmm. like like it does for you or it's some for sometimes it shapes your style like me but I do it more out of like just like uh Maybe some of it is like business decision. Sure. Just I think it's a smart marketing strategy, etc. So that's very interesting to know. All right. Absolutely. So can yeah. I ask you a quick fire question? Let's do it. Okay. What's one thing you wish you knew when you first started? Oh my god, that's a hard one. <laughs> take it seriously, but not too seriously. Oh, I love that. Smart, smart. How long did it take for you to get to where you're at right now in terms of follower count? When I resigned from my job, I had 135,000 followers in 2015, and today I have 500,000. Right. So, so, several years. It's a long to, time. To grow. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not overnight success. Absolutely not. Yes. What is the most difficult thing about being an influencer? Being public. I think you forget you are a public figure and everything that comes with that, and you have to kind of be on all the time. Yes, yes. And do you consider yourself more of an influencer or a content creator? A content creator. I, I mean, I have no, I know a lot of people don't like the word influencer. It doesn't bother me because I think I do influence people in their choices for clothing or, or interiors, and I think doing more affiliate stuff has made me realize the word influencer does have meaning, but. At the end of the day, what I love doing is creating content. Yeah. I think people think like influencers sell and content creators create. I think maybe that's yeah. like a general yeah. generalization of the, the difference between Definitely. the two. What's the biggest misconception about influencers? Uh, I think people don't realize just how much work goes into it. And yeah. I think because, it, it, again, that's the, and that's part of our job is kind of making it look easy and making it look fun. You know, we we have, we're just humans. We have good days and bad days. And it's, you know, it's not all fun and glam. Like there is a lot of down and dirtiness to it because we we play all the roles. Like I know you talk about that a lot. Like we do everything. We're, we, we're the photographer, we're the content creator, or the creative director, you yeah. know, we're the stylist, we're the makeup artist, we're the hair. Like we, you know, there's a lot that goes into it more than just that meets the eye. Totally, totally. Yeah. That's, that's consistently every single person's answer. It's like, yeah. <laughs> um, what's one thing you would change about the influencer industry? The influencer industry? Um, I don't know. I, you know, I, I think it has its, its set of issues, but I would say ultimately I think it's been a nurturing space. And I've, you know, in New York City, I think there's a great community. So I've been really lucky. And yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't change much. Like an example, like one thing I would change, yeah. I would I said a different thing yesterday, but oh, one yeah. thing I thought of today was like I would change the gifting packages to have less weight, less waste. Yes. Cuz it's yes. just so much waste. It is a lot of waste. And and I I really hate I it. I unsubscribe to a lot of giftings yeah, because yeah. it's just too much. Yeah, definitely. What's one piece of advice you give to someone who wants to be an influencer? Be yourself. And I'm sure that's just so obvious, but I think like when I first started, I felt I had to have a certain presence. Um, and I think people didn't really respond to it as much because you're not really being yourself. You're just kind of trying to play what you think is right. But I always say like, try and be yourself, but also set those boundaries. Like you, it's up to you. This is at the end of the day, you get to choose exactly what you want to do with your time and energy. So be true to who yourself, yourself, because you don't want to get burnt out. But if you're being true to yourself, I think it doesn't feel as taxing. Yes, that's right. Yeah. That's very true. Okay, uh, three more questions. Okay, hit me. Uh, what's your most memorable brand deal? Oh, 
Um, you know, what was really cool was, so when I worked at Estee Lauder, I was on the brand called Origins, uh, which is a skincare brand. Yes. And I loved working there. I had a great experience. Um, but I would say, you know, like many brands in that era, they were very hesitant to work with influencers and they really worked more with um, traditional press and media. Uh for example, when I first started there, they were like, I said, oh, how do we work with influencers? And they said, oh, Sally with a laptop. So things have changed. Uh, obviously, I mean, the industry changed a lot. But what I what was so cool was later on, I was an influencer and they invited me on a brand trip wow. to Finland. Wow. Incredible. Like places. the most incredible to see the Northern Lights, the most incredible brand trip I was ever on. And... The, the person who had said that was like, you know, this is incredible. Like, I think I didn't really believe the hype or I didn't understand what how how big this was going to be. Yeah. And thank you for opening my eyes. And, you know, thank you for coming on this trip. And I don't know. It was just, it was really satisfying, obviously. Yes, of you course. Know? Full circle Full moment. Full circle moment. I love and, it. And it was a beautiful, well-executed, amazing trip. So that's awesome. You. Those are always the best. Yeah. Okay. One last question. Okay. How long do you think you'll be an influencer for? Oh my goodness. Such a funny question. Uh, I feel like forever, in a way, because I think like the internet is forever. Mm-hmm. So while that what that means might change or maybe I won't be online, maybe I won't be so face to camera or but you know what what I love to do is is will remain the same. And even if it doesn't, I feel like if you've done it, if it's on the internet, that you're still an influencer. Right. Maybe somebody, maybe, maybe like, I think so far, like what if our kids, kids, like, you know, what was cool, trendy fashion in like, you know, millennial style that we all make fun of so much. Yeah. What if that becomes it's popular? Gonna it's going to come back eventually. And maybe they'll like land on my blog post from 2013. Oh, yes. Think wow. about that. Yeah. And maybe I'll, who no, knows? it's possible. Yeah, maybe they'll be in space, but gosh, <laughs> who knows? we'll be vintage. I found this vintage. retro blog, and yeah. I'm going to follow this vintage blog and style myself. Not the vintage blog. <laughs> this vintage blog, reachmartino.com. Oh that, my God. That's cool. Yeah, I like that. Something to think about. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's it for the questions. To wrap it up, where can people find you across yes. the channel? Oh my gosh. So please follow me on Instagram at reachmartino, and you can follow Dreamloft Studios at Dreamloft Studios. Um, and also on TikTok, Rach Martino. And uh, thank you so much for having me. Yes, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank Thank you. you. (laughs) Thanks again for tuning in to the Full-Time Influencer Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with someone who could benefit from it. And I'll see you in the next one.